0: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are with us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and the presence of your spirit. And we thank you that one day we will be in your presence forever. Right now, we ask you to fill us new and fresh with your spirit, that as we hear your word, that we will be able to understand and live it out in the days ahead. We thank you for Moses, the man we're going to experience tonight through scripture. And we ask, God, that as he was faithful, that you would make us faithful. And we also ask you, God, that in a way different from him, that when he disobeyed your voice uh, with great consequence, that you will call us to hear your voice and live it out every single moment of every single day, that we can bring you glory, honor, and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. hello! Welcome to New Life. I'm so glad to see real people in the seats tonight for the first time since March the 8th. And hello, yeah, it's really, thank you. And hello to you who are watching online. We know that many of you are at home watching online, and home might be here in this region, might be another state, it might be another country, because the New Life family has grown a lot. While we've only been able to worship online, but right now we can bring the online worship and the in-presence worship together as one big family. And if you're here for the first time in person or online, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're always looking uh, to find ways that we can help people who don't know Jesus to come to know Him, people who do know Jesus to grow up to be more like Him. So we're in a series that's called In Such a Time as This. And what we're doing is we're looking at biblical characters and how they lived through difficult circumstances, difficult times, and they didn't just survive them, but they thrived in the midst of them. So far, we've looked at Esther. Esther was a, an orphan and she was an exile, a Jewish girl. She grew up to be the queen of that exiled land. And in that role, she risked her life to save her people. And then we looked at Abraham. Abraham, at the age of 75, was called by God to leave his home and his family and his great wealth and pack it all up and take it to a place that that God would tell him once he got started. Once the moving truck was leaving leaving town, then he would say, here's where you're going. And Abraham did it. And as a result, he became the founder of the Jewish people. And he taught us that when we live our lives, we need to trust our future, our deepest desires, and our greatest treasures to God. And then last week we looked at Joseph. Joseph was a man who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then as a slave, he was falsely accused and put in prison. And all the while he trusted in God's promises. And what we learned from Joseph is if we trust in God's promises, he will bring us through to a victory. In Joseph's case, it was an incredible victory over the trials and and tests of life. Tonight, today, we look at Moses. Moses and Joseph's life are connected. In fact, let me show you how that happened, uh, and it's in Exodus 1, starting in verse 8. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible app, you have your phone there. There's a Bible app probably available, or your actual Bible. You can open it up, Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, and it says this. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king." It's hard to imagine a, a king or a pharaoh in Egypt who forgot about Joseph. Joseph had saved the entire nation from a great famine that lasted for seven years. And, except the thing is, this is hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later, there's this new king, this new pharaoh in the land. And he doesn't remember what Joseph did. But what he does know is these Israelites who only numbered 70 when Joseph brought his family into the country now numbered more than a million. And, and the pharaoh was afraid That These Israelites would side with an enemy if there was ever a war so they decided to enslave them and not only that But they decided that because they were getting so numerous. We need to stop their population growth So the way they decided to do that was to tell the midwives who delivered the babies for the Jews That they needed to kill every male baby Well, the midwives loved God and were more afraid of God than they were of the Egyptians And so they didn't do what they were told to do and the Israelites continued to increase So then Pharaoh told his people, if you see a Jewish baby that's a boy, kill it. Throw it into the Nile River. Now Moses was born after this edict was pronounced. In other words, Moses was a Hebrew baby boy, so he should have been thrown in the river. But his mother loved him and she protected him and hid him for three months. When it was no longer possible to hide the baby, she fashioned a little basket and she put Moses in the basket and she put him in the Nile River praying that he would be safe. As it turned out, one of Pharaoh's daughters saw the basket, she went over, she found the baby, and she realized this was one of the Hebrew children, and she decided to take the baby into her home and raise him as her own. Now Moses, which is the name that Pharaoh's daughter gave the little baby, had a sister who was watching. And she came up to the Pharaoh's daughter and said, how about if I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this child until he's old enough to be weaned? And the Pharaoh's daughter agreed. So Moses was able, as a baby or a toddler, to come into Pharaoh's home. And he was brought up, as uh, the Disney uh, movie told us, as a prince of Egypt. But at the age of 40, something happened that was a pivotal moment in Moses' life. Apparently, his, his adopted mother had told him about his heritage, that he was a Hebrew. He wasn't originally an Egyptian. And so this is what happens, and we find this in Exodus 2, starting in verse 11. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So Moses, even though he was royalty uh, among the Egyptians, decided to side with his oppressed brothers and sisters. And he took things into his own hands. And and he actually, in a moment of either thinking he was going to deliver his people or just a moment of passion, he he killed an Egyptian slave driver. He became a murderer. And and the next day, going out and thinking he was going to help his Hebrew brothers, there were two of them fighting. He said, why are you fighting with each other? And what did the... What did the Hebrews say? Are you going to kill me like you're going to like you already killed the Egyptian slave master? Are you our prince and judge? And so he had to run away. Now, the interesting thing is Moses would indeed become Israel's prince and judge, but not in his power, in God's. Moses' life of privilege was over because Pharaoh found out what Moses had done. And and basically he was going to be arrested and punished So Moses ran away to a place called Midian, and in that place, he married a woman from the town, from the area, uh, and he became a shepherd of sheep for his father-in-law. Now, I was trying to think of an analogy of what that's like. It's sort of like being a starting quarterback in the NFL, and suddenly you find yourself playing flag football in a bar league in some country, you know, some country area, and nobody even knows your name. But that's what it was like for Moses. For 40 years, he's out there watching the sheep, and he doesn't have any idea that God had a plan for his life. You see, Moses tried to live out the plan. He tried to deliver his people from their slavery, but but he did it in a a way that that wasn't possible to have uh, success. So God had a plan, but, but Moses didn't know God's plan, and maybe God didn't even know Moses. But as we turn to our take-home point right now, and for those who are watching online or new here for the first time, the take-home point is the one point we're going to make from Scripture that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. This is what's going to happen. God desires to bring freedom to His people. That's always true. God always desires to bring freedom to His people. In Moses' day, it was a physical freedom from slavery. In our day, it might be that, but it also for sure is freedom from sin and death which God has done through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. So in the case of Moses, this is how God and Moses met. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt now doesn't that sound like the kind of thing when this encounter happens that you're expecting to be like if you're watching a movie of this there'd be rocky theme music in the background and Moses runs all the way back to Egypt you know gets right in the face of Pharaoh and says let my people go but it doesn't happen like that at all in fact For the next chapter and a half in the book of Exodus, Moses tries to tell God why God has the wrong person. Why why Moses has no business going back to Pharaoh and why Moses is not the person who could be a deliverer of anything. In fact, he says, the people of Egypt won't listen to me. The people of Israel won't listen to me. What he's saying is, I'm a nobody. Don't you get it? I'm nobody. I'm happy being a nobody. I don't want to do anything. I'm I'm just going to stay here. Couldn't you find somebody else? So what happens next is Moses says, look, even if I were going to do this, I don't even know what your name is. I go back to the people of Israel and they say, what's his name? I'm going to say, I don't know. So God says, my name is I am. That's a pretty cool name, you have to admit, right? And so he says, okay, so now you know my name, so go do it. And Moses says, "Um, I still don't think they're gonna believe me. So God gives him three miracles to show that God has sent him. So then what does Moses do? He says, I I, I can't can't talk very well. So you need to get somebody else. And God says, Moses, who do you think makes people able to talk or not talk? It's me. It's me. So you need somebody to help you talk. I'll send your brother Aaron. In fact, he's coming. You're going to meet him on the way and he'll be your mouthpiece. But you two are going to Pharaoh and you are going to help deliver my people from their oppression. And so finally, Moses says, God, just send somebody else. And and sort of the first Nike commercial, God says, Moses, just do it. And so Moses starts walking back and he finds Aaron and they go back And and what we see over the next several chapters of the book of Exodus is Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so then Moses and Pharaoh said, if you don't let the people go, there's going to be consequences. And there are 10 plagues. And some of them are just nuisances, but some of them are devastating. And the 10th plague is a plague of death on every firstborn male in the entire region of Egypt, except for the region of Goshen, which is where the Israelites lived. Because God told the Israelites that they needed to kill a goat and, and put the, the blood of it on top of, or, or lamb, on top of the doorpost and on the sides. And in every household where that was the case, then the, the angel of death would pass over. And so this is the final of the ten plagues, and it's the one that finally caught the Pharaoh's attention. And he said, all right, you can go. And actually... This is the way out of Israel. The book of Exodus, the word Exodus literally means the way out. And so Moses and Aaron lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And the trouble is (laughs) that the the people got out of Egypt. They saw all of these miracles. Then then God opens the Red Sea so they can walk across on dry land, drowns all of the Egyptians. And, And you would think, all right, these people are bought into God, right? But no sooner had they started into the desert than they started grumbling. In fact, the people grumbled against God and Moses, and they wanted to return to Egypt. Here's the thing. It took a long time to get the Israelite slaves out of Egypt. But it was going to take even longer to get Egypt out of the Israelite slaves. It took even longer for them to realize they were free. That God had made them into a free people. All they had to do... Now, this is the part of the freedom... That the people didn't want, and here it goes like this: They didn't know how to live as free people who submitted themselves to the authority of God and Moses. Free people submitted to another authority, but not, not a slave-driving authority, an authority who loved them and cared about them. In fact, in his book *Undercover*, John Bevere wrote this statement: "There is freedom in submission and bondage in rebellion. There is freedom in submission." and bondage in rebellion. So the rest of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is the account of how the Israelites followed Moses and Aaron and and really not very well until they got to the promised land. And when I say not very well, they rebelled constantly. And God would send plagues of fire and poisonous snakes and disease to, to show them they needed to obey but they just never really seemed to get it. And the, the culmination of all this disobedience came when the Israelites were right on the brink of the promised land. And so Moses sent 12 spies, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, into the land to scope it out. And when they came back, 10 of the spies had a bad report. In fact, it was a good report. They said, it's an amazing land. It's filled with milk and honey. They're, you know, the, 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 the food is incredible. In fact, they brought grapes back and two guys were needed to carry one pot of grapes. I'd like to see that pot of grapes. But anyway, so, so the thing is, they said, but, you know how it all, you hear all this good stuff and there's always but, but there are giants in the land. The people there, they, they, they're so, they're so t- tremendous. There's no way, there's no way that we would ever defeat them. But there were two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua. And what they said was, you know, we have a big God. And he already delivered us from Egypt. He's certainly gonna deliver us from the people of this land. Let's just go in and take it over. Now, what the Israelites did next was a very, ba- very bad thing. They voted. They voted to go back to Israel. And because they voted to go back to Israel, they were given uh, the, the strongest consequence they had received. 40 more years in the wilderness. Now, i want to tell you, it takes two weeks walking to go from Egypt to Israel. Two weeks. But it took 40 years until an entire generation of disobedient people died out before they actually got to go to the promised land. So Moses is called in Scripture the humblest man who ever lived. Moses is also called in Scripture a man who God spoke to face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So in other words, God called Moses his personal friend. But Moses' story doesn't end well for Moses. Moses was a faithful man. He, you know, he's 120 years old by the time the Israelites are ready to finally go into the promised land. So that means 40 years he lived as the prince of Egypt. 40 years he lived in in anonymity as a shepherd in Midian. But for the last 40 years of his life, he had lived as the leader of a grumbling, murmuring people. And he's just on the verge of the promised land. And just on the verge of the promised land, God says, Moses, you don't get to go in. And as we look at that, I want to think a little bit about new life because back in mid-May, back in mid-May, we were thinking about when is it time for us to do what we're doing this evening? When is it time for us to come back to in-person worship? And as we were praying about it, and when I say we, I mean the lead team, we didn't have a clear answer. The Holy Spirit wasn't speaking. And there's nothing in Scripture that says, when do you go back from the coronavirus? Obviously, there's nothing that tells you what to do. And so we're praying and no answer. And as we're praying and no answer, one morning I was prayer walking. And as I was prayer walking, the Lord said to me, remember Moses. And I thought to myself, remember Moses? You're going to have to help me out here. I-, I need more than remember Moses. I mean, we- we've been remembering Moses all evening. I mean, rem- Moses-, Moses was a really, really amazing man of God. So why would God tell me to remember Moses. He stood, he stood face to face against Pharaoh and won because of the power of God. He led an entire nation out of Israel. But here's the thing. Moses was faithful, but he did not get to enter the promised land because of one act of disobedience. I already mentioned that, but we're going to look at it. At one point, here's what happened. The Israelites were out in the desert. And from Egypt to Israel, it's all desert. So they're out in the desert, and there's no water. And so God says to Moses, take your staff and strike the rock, and water's going to come out. And it did. And all the people and all their livestock had enough water to drink. But this happened again. And on the second time, God told Moses to take his staff, but to speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock like you did the first time, but speak to the rock and water will come out. And here's what happened. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring out water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So did you catch that? The only thing Moses did wrong, 40 years of leadership, is one time he was told to strike the rock and he did. But the second time he was told to just speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. But he did more than that. What he did was he took the credit Do you remember what he said? Must we, meaning Aaron and I, bring water from the rock? Do you think Moses and Aaron could bring water out of a rock? Of course not. It was only God who could do that. And the interesting thing is when they struck the rock, God still brought the water out. The result was the same, but the consequence was God said because you took the credit, because you were not willing to follow me to the very end, you don't get to go into the promised land. And we might think, well, that's not fair. I mean, one little thing wrong. And he doesn't get there. But that's the problem, is we assume that we get to decide what's fair when it comes to God. And God is, he's not a human being. He he doesn't ask us to vote or to give the commands. He tells us what to do, and then he calls us to do it. When we do what he tells us to do, there's great blessing. But when we don't, when we reject what he tells us to do, there are consequences, So when God told me to remember Moses and I remembered that act of disobedience, I thought to myself, what is God trying to say to me? And then I remembered 19 and a half years ago. At 19 and a half years ago, there was a very pivotal moment in my life, in in Nancy's in my life. And that was when God called us to leave the Presbyterian Church USA. And we didn't know what we were going to do at the moment. All we knew was we were called to go out. And we ended up being first. We were the first ones in this area in the Presbyterian Church USA, first pastor family that left because we were obeying God. And so what I interpreted what God was saying was this time, don't be first. Don't be first. I always like being first. You know what I mean? Uh, If Those of you who know me a long time, I don't like going second. Second is first loser, right? I don't want to be second. I want to be first. But God is saying, don't go first. Well, wait a minute. You mean we don't get to open up on Pentecost, which is when I wanted to open up? And actually, Bishop Garlington and Covenant Church of Pittsburgh, they did open up in Pentecost. And then the next weekend, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh opened up. And then a lot of churches in our community opened up. And the next weekend, Victory Family Church opened up. My my friend Mel Massengale up in Indiana at Summit Church, he opens up. And it looks like we're going to be last to open up. And the thing is, all the while, I'm saying, God, don't you get it? I want to be first. And he says... uh, Where's that T at the end of your name? You'll get that on the way home. My name's Chris. No T at the end of my name. I don't get to tell God what to do. I don't tell God what to do. I I try to sometimes, but so here we are on June 27th instead of, and June 28th, instead of May something or early June. And, And the reality is Moses loved God. He served God faithfully and there was just this one time When he took the credit and he did what he wanted to do. And as the the lead pastor of New Life, I didn't want to be in Moses' shoes. And and here's the thing, as you're listening right now, I want to ask the question, what is there in your life right now that's keeping you in bondage? or keeping you from living in God's freedom because anytime we are disobedient to God in any area of our lives it's going to keep us in bondage it's going to keep us from the freedom that he wants for us you know sometimes we realize it's not always an obvious sin that keeps us from God Moses action didn't seem that bad all he was doing was trying to you know speed things up a little bit and he was just tired of the of the israelites and i can't even imagine million a couple million people, always murmuring, always grumbling. You know, I think if Moses had to do it over again, when he went to Pharaoh, he would have said, would you let like 15 of my people go? <laughs> and I get to choose who they are, right? Um, but he, he, he didn't get to choose. And so because Moses didn't do what God wanted him to do, he didn't get to see the blessing of the promised land. So whatever the reason it is in our lives when, you know, we think God's acting too slowly, he's taking too long, whatever it is, here's the thing. It's always better to wait for the Lord's timing and living according to his direction than to take matters into our own hands. As we look around right now and see this continuing season of coronavirus, there are a lot of things that people, you know, don't like. Some some of you are hurting more than others. Some of you still aren't back to work. You know, certainly we don't like this social distancing. I mean, it's... Really odd for me to look around and see people so spread out. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do these things that basically are things that will help people potentially to stay safe. And at the same time, potentially will give people the opportunity to come together, to come to know Jesus if they don't. And for all of us to grow up to be more like him. So submitting to God and the authorities he puts in our lives is what causes freedom in our lives. We don't really like to hear that, but it's the truth. And, you know, rebellion brings bondage. If you're like me, you just want to do what you want to do. That's what I always want to do. I want to do what I want to do. But then I think about it and say, oh, remember Moses? Remember what Moses did? Don't want to, don't want to have the end of my life come and God says, see the promised land over there? Well, that's the last look you get. You don't actually get to experience it. And none of us want to have that experience. Moses thought or felt like he had had enough with the people. I've heard so many people say, I'm done with all this. Well, really? We can be as done as we want to be with all of this, but it's still here. And Moses was done with the people of Israel. He was going to show them. But as a result, it backfired on Moses. And we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve thought, no, I think they felt like, Being their own boss would be better than having God be their boss. And we all have experienced how that worked out for them. So let's remember what it's like to be Adam and Eve, because we can. Think about what that's like, putting ourselves first. Let's remember what it's like to be Moses, who almost always put God first, but then that one time he didn't. And let's look at the next step. It says this, I will leave bondage and live in freedom this week. I will leave bondage and live in freedom this week. As Americans, we might look at that next step and go, yes, freedom. That means I get to do whatever I want. In God's economy, that's never what, what, what freedom means. Freedom never means we get to do whatever we want. It means that we get to do what God calls us to do. And as we do that, in that submissive state of being in relationship with him and doing what he calls us to do, that's when we experience the true freedom he created us to have. So as we go into a new week, I'm going to ask all of us just to pause and ask ourselves, what will it mean for me to submit to God in every area of my life this week? I know that's a big question, but we can start, you know, in, at home. Maybe that's the only sphere of influence we have right now. What, what's it going to be like at work? What's it going to be like out in the community? And as we listen, he he will speak to us. He has spoken to us by his word. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us in circumstances and he speaks to us through other believers. So as we do that, we will be able to live the kind of life that is truly free. The author of the Hebrews tells us that Moses did something incredible. He rejected living in the palace of the king. Why did he do that? because he was willing to give up the pleasures of sin for a season, some translations say, so that he could suffer with the people of God, that he considered following Christ. And actually it says Christ, which is interesting because Moses lived long before Jesus came to the earth. But in doing what was right, in following the will and obeying God, Moses was following the will of Jesus Christ. And as we consider that tonight, as we consider what it means to follow the will of God in our life, the very first step of that is to put Jesus in charge of our lives. If you have never trusted Jesus as Savior, which means the one who rescues us from sin and death, as Lord, which means he is truly the one who gets to tell us what to do so that our freedom within the limits of his, his voice is what we live out in our lives, I would encourage you as we sing right now to think about that, to, to even pray about that as we sing. And then I would we're going to talk about what it means, how simple it is, not easy, but simple it is to make Jesus Lord of our lives and move forward with him in charge.